Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the inaugural episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Corey Reynolds, Mary Lindsay, and Graham Sattler. Corey is the Assistant Professor of Advanced Technology course at Baylor College of Medicine. Mary is the Chair of the Cellular Integrative Physiology at the University of Nebraska and Founding Director of the Center for Heart and Vascular Health. Graham is a Product Development Manager at Indus Instruments, which offers solutions for preclinical cardiovascular research. They are here with us to speak about why comprehensive surgical monitoring has become so crucial in today's scientific research space. Let's jump in. So we had one person kind of curious what other type of animals this could be used for. I mean, Graham, this is branded a mouse monitor, you already mentioned during this presentation, it accommodates rats. Are there any other research models that this could be used for? Yeah, we've actually seen the mouse monitor S used on bats at uh, Dr. Lindsay's previous location when she was at uh, UTHSC San Antonio at the uh, Bar Shop Institute, and also in uh, naked mole rats, one of our collaborators Dr. Reddy is also working with current researchers at the, the Bar Shop Institute on doing research on naked mole rats. We've seen it used on hamsters and on gerbils and on guinea pigs. So it turns out that the rough spacing of the electrodes and the length of them for rats and the same set for mice ends up getting a, a very wide variety of small animal and, and murine models. Excellent. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Our next question actually um, talks about system integration. This, uh, this has come from an attendee who is using a uh, pressure volume loop system. Now, uh, Graham, I would expect that this would just call on, like in general, can be answered in general where the analog outputs would be used from the system to then interface, you know, other devices along with the mouse monitor signals through one data acquisition system. Can you explain that for the audience? Sure. Yeah, the Mouse Monitor S has a module that allows for analog output. And all of the channels that it allows up to eight channels on this module, which is pretty challenging for a data integration perspective. So most people use a subset of the channels that we have available. But each channel is configurable as to what signal that you want to send out on them and also what filters you wish to apply. The filters you apply to the exported analog signals are, can be different than the signals that you have the sorry the filters that you have applied to the display unit so that allows you to you know put the all of the waveforms on the tablet viewed in such a way where it makes sense for you to do your analysis but you may want to send unfiltered signals or signals sent filtered differently out to your data acquisition system we've seen that integrated with uh, both Molar and with PsySense pressure volume loop systems with no issues at all. And it provides a, you know, a very good preparation and stability platform for beginning that fairly extended type of experiment. Excellent. Someone's asking about a multiple system integration. So in the event someone has a lab where they would like multiple platforms, how would you suggest kind of arranging that? Would it be that each mouse monitor is kind of a standalone or can maybe this calls on the system integration again or analog output feature, could a series of mouse monitors then be collected in a larger data acquisition system with perhaps input limits around, say, 32 or 64, because those are common in some industry labs? 
Well, we don't really have a formal analog, I mean, a formal large-scale deployment plan worked out where you can have multiple base stations powered off of, you know, a fewer number of tablets. But actually, Mary Lindsay's and, and Andre's lab is a good example of how many, how you can fit a number of these different systems in a small space. Andre, would you like to talk about that a little bit? In our, in our lab, in our surgery room, we have four, four stations which are provided with all, you know, with, with four different monitor systems. So far, we never had a problem or a trouble. We don't have a log system. It, it just is, you know, a tablet, a one tablet per station. And if multiple people desire to use it, they just, whenever, whenever you do a surgery or you record, and you record DCG, and there is an option you put, you can, you, you give your uh, study name and uh, your own name. So it's pretty much um, it just stores in a, in a different folders and you can just grab it from, from there. Yeah, I hope this answers the question. Um, there is no problem with uh, diff different users. Yeah, I'll just add a little bit to that. We find it very easy just to have standalone systems for each of our surgery stations. The, the cost and the ease makes it worth it. So we don't try to have one, one setup to record all the EKGs from all the systems. Yeah, because I believe if I if I remember correctly, Mary, you said that there's times when you actually have four different surgeries and four different surgeons all going on at the same time. That's correct. Excellent. Very good. Okay, I'm going to jump in with a, a couple more questions. We have one specific uh, question about ECG filtering within the device. So I would imagine that if anyone really wants to see this happen, the best thing to do is arrange a an on-screen demonstration, which I'm sure, Graham, you'd be happy to do. But if you could describe briefly what's the process and what options are available through the mouse monitor directly for e ECG filtering. Okay. Well, there are three different filters that can be applied to ECG and also to respiration. There's a, a high-pass filter, and there's a low-pass filter, and then there's a notch filter. And I'll go briefly over what each one does. A high-pass filter, it passes high-frequency signals. So basically, this is your opportunity to eliminate kind of the overall baseline drift of your signal. And so instead of having the ECG kind of riding on a gentle rolling wave, you can apply a high-pass filter that allows you to stabilize the baseline and make it easier to kind of understand what your signal looks like in a raw form. There's a low-pass filter, which, again, passes low frequencies. And what that allows you to do is allows you to filter out a whole bunch of high-frequency noise. So if you have, you know, some sort of other equipment in your lab or a radio signal or any sort of RF interference, you can apply an, a, a low-pass filter and then you can eliminate that. So a, a good example of this would be in the standard configuration of the mouse monitor as the ECG ships with a high-pass filter of 2 hertz. So that means that anything lower than 2 hertz is going to get um, ignored, essentially, or filtered out and before it's, it's displayed. And on the low-pass filter, we have a 1,000 hertz filter. So basically, if you were to have any you know, gigahertz, megahertz, RF frequency noise, you're able to filter that out and ignore it so that you don't have a whole bunch of, you know, crazy gobbledygook messing up with your respiration or ECG signals. A notch filter is really useful for when you've got power line interference or some sort of cyclical, maybe you're getting some sort of bleed through from the transformers on your fluorescent lights. So sometimes there's some filters there that are useful for kind of cleaning up some of these signals. We also have a couple different ways to change the grounding schemes to uh, figure out how to integrate best with other pieces of equipment and other devices uh, because every lab is different and there can be, you know, 
different types of grounding scenarios, different types of noise situations. So we've implemented a robust filtering mechanism as well as a multimodal grounding uh, solution for trying to, to tackle these different types of, of problems. Okay, that's excellent. And actually, on this on this note, is it also fair to assume that the analog output of that signal can be untouched, so to speak? So it would be passed on to an external data acquisition, and then data management at that point can be handled downstream? That's correct. We've implemented actually a feature that allows you to either export the signal with no filtering or to apply a set of filtering that is anything that you wish. It's independent of the filtering that goes on the display. So if you want to apply aggressive filters on your display and no filters on your output or light filters on your analog output, then either of those options are, are possibilities. That's a great feature. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for our final question here. Again, thank you to all of our attendees that have sent excellent questions through, and we will get to all of them. So the, let's spend a little bit of time just uh, reviewing the pulse ox side of the system. Maybe if you could address two things. There was one question about what is the ideal placement of the sensor on the mouse, I guess we'll use as an example. And then also just in general, if there's any concerns or how the system has system features that have been built in to ensure optimal like, signal clarity, because you're pulling so many signals from one device, how is Indus really focused in on making sure that these signals are as clean and true as possible. Okay, well, someone stop me if I'm getting too nerdy. I'm a little bit involved in the engineering process, so sometimes <laughs> I can get carried away. Our background is 22 years of instrumentation design, so we're keenly aware of the effects that you know disparate systems and different disparate me uh, measurement mechanisms can have on interfering with each other. And so taking care to implant, implement a very good isolation, filtering, and ground isolation scheme throughout all of the different devices was very important in the design phase. And it's one of the key elements that enables us to kind of integrate all of these different measurement modalities without them interfering with each other, without them you know, causing any sort of signal interference. So that's the approach that we took for that. And, and as pertaining to the pulse oximeter measurement, we have a clip that uh, clips onto the thigh, as well as clips that are clip onto the, the foot and lower leg for both mice and rats. And we're in continual development on those clips and improving them to reduce their size and increase their ease of use. So the only thing that I will note is that with any clip on a, in a dark-haired mouse, it, normal protocol is to shave or uh, nair the leg to remove the the dark colored hair because that's an impediment to the light frequencies that are used to measure blood oxygenation and that's just a matter of the, the way that the technology works. So one of the advantages of using a clip placement on the foot is that you don't have to shave the hair, but one of the disadvantages is that placement on the foot is keenly sensitive to uh, the internal temperature of the animal. That's not necessarily a problem with our system because of the robust heating system that's integrated into the product, but that can be a challenge of trying to use other foot-based pulse oximeter sensors because uh, you're unable to use the sensor and at the same time maintains uh, sufficient core temperature. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.